I want to start off with a true story. A few years back, I was running a speed detail, radar gun, police, that kind of thing. I really am a police officer in real life. <laughs> Down the road, uh, it's George's Road, what we used to call the S-curves. They used to be like hairpin turns before they straightened them out recently. So I, after the road straightened out, I set my patrol car up, put the little radar gun on, and watch for speeders. Well, a car comes my direction, the gun's going off, I know I got a live one. So as he's going through the curbs, something's just not right with the car and I can't figure out what it is because of my reference point. I figured it out once he straightened out. He was on the wrong side of the road. So he's, now I'm thinking, quick, what do I do? I couldn't pull out because he would have hit me, just praying that there would be no oncoming traffic. So the guy whizzes by me and all kinds of things are going through my head like, well, maybe it's not a big deal, maybe he's from England. Uh, <laughs> so I, I pull up behind him and turn the lights and siren on, and he pulls right, right over. So I was kind of relieved about that. You know, we drive uh, one, one police officer per, per patrol car, not like you see on TV. Everybody doesn't have two cops in the car. So I get out of the car, get everything ready. I start walking up to the car. From my frame of reference, I see his feet first because I'm standing. He's sitting, obviously. And I see ten toes wiggling on the pedals. So I'm thinking, okay, he's got no shoes and socks on. Maybe he's from California. <laughs> so as I get closer to the car, uh, I'm, as I'm looking in, he looks at me with these real big bug eyes, this wild look on his face. And I'm thinking, something's weird with this guy. So I asked him for his information, and I said to him, you know, do you know why I stopped you? And he looked at me, and he threw his hands up, and he goes, the son of man obeys no traffic laws. Serious. That's what he said. It's a true story. So why is that funny? Well, the obvious answer is Revelation 19 says, when the door of heaven opens, Jesus comes out on a white horse and the armies of heaven are following him. He touches down somewhere in Jerusalem. doesn't say anything about a guy driving a beat-up Toyota in Monmouth Junction. <laughs> so that's the obvious answer why it's funny, but what's the real answer? The real answer is why you're giggling is because most of you have some sort of relationship with Jesus Christ. And from what I explained, you know that that isn't him. I knew that that wasn't him. But I did call for backup. <laughs> you know, at the time, I wasn't a Christian that long, but all the guys in the department know I was a Christian. So here's my motivation. Could you imagine if this guy beats the tar out of me at the side of the road? I'd never live it down at headquarters. You know, hey, Joe, what kind of Christian are you? Your Lord and Savior just kicked your butt last, year, last week. <laughs> so that's what I'm, I'm dealing with. But, you know, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why it's a, a silly story. Well, let me just start off with a few verses about what a relationship is and what Jesus talks about, what a relationship is with him. Uh, turn your Bibles to Revelation 3, chapter 20. 20 through 22. Jesus said, you've heard it quoted many times, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You ever notice something interesting about this passage? He's talking to a church. He's talking to the Laodicean church, and he's asking them that he would stand at the door and they would let him in and that he could have a relationship with him. 
People have the odd notion that just because they go to church that everything's good. You know, it's almost like if there was such a thing as the pearly gates, you'd go up there, whip out your card like a gym membership card, and say, look at the denomination I'm from. Hey, no problem. Come on in. It's not how it works. Uh, and flip your Bibles to John 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. John 15. In the study Bible, the caption is the relationship of believers to Christ. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Okay. I was always taught that if something is repeated in the Bible, you should pay attention to it. He keeps saying abide, abide, abide. Well, I don't want to take liberties with the word, so I looked it up in the dictionary. Abode is a noun. Abide is the verb. Abide means this. Reside in. Remain in. Stand fast in. Submit to. And continue. Those are like commitment words there. Is there anything to indicate that we just kind of, you know, come to church on Sunday, hope Joe talks really quickly so that I can leave and do my chores for the day? Or, uh, you know, just a kind of casual relationship. No, not by reading that word, abide. It's very interesting that, um, you know, my question is this. How can a follower of Christ, that's what Christians are, be a follower of Christ if they're not following Christ? Kind of made that up in five seconds, didn't take much thought. How can a follower of Christ be a follower of Christ if they're not following Christ? A few things about this scripture, verse 2, he said that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Well, my wife is really good with the horticulture, so I asked her about that. I said, I've kind of heard that, you know, and what does that mean? Well, it's the way she explained it. I kind of asked if she would come up and tell you because she'd do a much better job than I would. But the bottom line is when you prune something, it, it bears more fruit, like Jesus said. And the cool thing about Jesus is he didn't come for the super intellectuals, although they're welcome. People lived at that time in an agrarian society. You know, everything was farming and planting and simple things. And Jesus used simple things, physical things in the world to explain the spiritual truth. But pruning, that's, that's a whole study in itself. Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James chapter 1. It's when the Christian goes through hard times and they feel like they are being pruned. But when they get through that, that uh, procedure, so to speak, they come out as a stronger Christian. It makes their faith stronger. It, it makes the Christian grow, and they do bear more fruit. 
What is fruit? It's, a, it's the manifestation of what the Lord has done in you. That's what fruit is, that, that what everybody can see, the fruit. And he said in, in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus takes that physical example and makes a spiritual truth out of it. We can't bear fruit without him. People could say, well, you know, there's a lot of philanthropists in the world. Look at all the things they do. Sure. The guy who donates $10 million to the hospital gets his hospital wing with his plaque on it. The guy who donates more than $10,000 to his, his college gets his name as, as a gold sponsor. He's got his reward. True fruit is doing it without looking for any type of reward, doing it just as unto the Lord. That's pure fruit. Verse 6, something I wanted to avoid today, but I'm going to read it anyway. I'm like, Lord, help me out with this one. <laughs> if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you take a tree, a flowering tree, a fruit-bearing tree, and you hack off a branch and just leave it, leave it there on the side, it's not going to take long before it's dead. And it's good for nothing after it dries out to be burnt. Uh, am I saying that, am I, saying, am I making any statements about losing salvation or anything like that? No. First of all, I didn't write the book. I'm just reading what it says. But um, it, it's kind of hard as a Christian when the Lord has done something great in your life. It's kind of hard not to bear fruit. It, almost, it does go against your grain. You almost have to force yourself as a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, reading God's word, abiding in the Lord, not to bear fruit. It's a very hard thing to do. That's almost like a plumber saying, I don't like to touch dirty water. It's his job. It's like I just remember going to a call once with a, an officer. He was uh, five years on the job, and uh, we're going to serve a warrant. As we get up to the house, we don't know what's going, what's going to happen behind the other side of the door. He looks at me and says, Joe, I hope the guy's not home. I said, why not? He goes, I'm non-confrontational. I'm thinking, I'm dead. <laughs> he, something's going to happen. He's taken off because he's not confrontational. I'm left by myself. But, you know, it kind of goes against the grain. You know, if you want to be a police officer, sometimes you've got to do stuff that nobody else wants to do. But as a Christian, again, it's very hard, very, very hard not to bear fruit. So I don't want to frighten any new Christians here. Uh, if you're a new Christian, just wait in the Lord. Just sit at his feet. The Bible talks about that. Just learn about him, love him, pray, and the Lord will grow you. And that fruit will just come naturally. You know, the tree doesn't sit there. I've heard this illustration. It's beautiful. The spring, you know, my wife, she's got this garden. The whole, the whole place is plants and trees. And um, the, I love the dogwood tree. That's one of my favorite trees. And uh, it's got these little buds. And the dogwood doesn't go there and go, and then it opens up. It's a slow process. It's natural. God gave that, that dogwood tree the ability to slowly, before you know it, the buds are open. You know, it's beautiful. And I'm on CD, so I, you know, the guys are going to rib me about this afterwards, but Joe loves the dogwood tree. Anyway, <laughs> so why is it that we have meaningful relationships with our spouses, which is a good thing, with our kids? All you animal lovers, with your pets, albeit they're limited relationships. How come we can have all these limited relationships with the Lord of glory a lot of times, and we're all guilty of it? Gets it, you know, he gets five minutes in the morning. Oh, Lord, I'm late for work. I need to be blessed. See you again at 11 o'clock when I go to bed. And a Sunday morning, Lord, I'm giving you a whole hour today. Aren't I special? So, I mean, if you, if you kind of gave that relationship to somebody you loved here, it wouldn't last long, would it? 
It'd be a pretty cold relationship, but sometimes we, we treat our Lord and Savior like that. You know, our God is a big God. I was reading in, uh, I, I saved all my science textbooks from college because I find them interesting. And I was reading uh, about the atom, which is the building block of, of all creation. Uh, you know, the atom has the protons and the neutrons in the center and the nucleus and a bunch of electrons whizzing around, like orbiting it. And they all kind of come together and make us, this podium, everything and, and creation. But there's something called a strong nuclear force, which actually holds the, the nucleus together so it doesn't explode. And uh, it, it is kind of odd because protons, you know, anything with like attractions repel each other. So positives against positives will repel. You've seen the magnets. But um, I was reading in the book, and it says they just labeled it strong nuclear force, and they say we don't really even know. It's poorly understood by scientists. Well, let me help out the scientists for a minute. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. And I'm really getting somewhere. We're not, this isn't turning into a science lesson. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Speaking about Jesus, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. That word in the Greek for consist is, is a big word. It's sunastio, and it literally means held together. Through the Lord Christ, everything in creation is held together. Why I don't kind of explode up here on the podium is because I'm being held together. And there's forces within our bodies, within creation, that we can't even understand. Scientists, for so many years, and all the equipment that they have, they can't understand it. But the Bible says it's through Christ, through his love, through his, his creation, that everything is held together. And in 2 Peter 3.10, I'll just read it. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And it talks about the heavens and the earth being burned up and God creating a new heaven and a new earth. A new earth. But there will be, come a point in time where the elements, the stoichia in the Greek, is a picture of the basic building blocks of life, like the atom. And they're just going to kind of separate and, you know, that's fission, guys. It's funny how people say, well, you have to either believe in science or the Bible. Well, there's both in here. You know, how did Peter know what fission was? But he explains it. When the atoms are split apart, that's how we made the A-bomb, by fission, a fission reaction. So the Lord holds us together by his love. And then there'll be a certain point in time where judgment will have to come and everything will just be let loose and everything will be burned up and melted. So why am I even saying this? Because I'm trying to, to me, I guess I like science. I didn't pay much attention in college. Now I'm reading all the books afterwards. <laughs> should have paid more attention. But um, to me, the more you learn about God, the more you see, you know, learn about him, you realize he's a big God. He's an awesome God. He, he does things that is unbelievable. I mean, the, the inner workings of the brain, the reproductive system, how can anybody think that we really evolved to this point? It's ridiculous. There's no evidence of any of that. In, in, uh, in the physical world. But God's a big God. God's a smart God. And I think that the more we realize his vastness, the more we should really, uh, it, it's just one more reason to have that relationship with him. It's just one more reason to be just totally blown away by your daddy in heaven, right? But a few points on relationship. i got four of them here. And there's many more, I'm sure. Uh, in a relationship, you desire to be with that person all the time. Well, let's start with the imperfect human relationships because they are imperfect. And in case any of you have, you know, are nodding off, I'm going to make you participate. 
by a show of hands, how many people here have been married at least five years? Wow, a lot of married people here. Um, Ten years? Twenty? The herd is thinning. More than twenty? Wow, awesome. So, <laughs> in a Christian relationship, you love your spouse more as you get older. The dread of losing a spouse is, the thought of losing a spouse is dreadful. When I look around, when I come in here, I see some real grounded relationships, uh, some real awesome marriages, uh, people in here who have great ability to, to counsel younger couples and help them through their marriages. Um, and now, by a show of hands, how many people have been, who've been, who have known the Lord have been saved five years? Ten? Twenty? Over twenty? <laughs> This is cool. I got, Pete wanted me to do this to take notes for when he gets back to him and he saved people in here. I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, when you're married to your spouse, everybody remembers the initial attraction. What attracted you to the other person? Everybody remembers the long phone conversations. You know, your siblings saying, get off the phone, get off the phone. Uh, you remember, you know, the first date. You remember all that stuff. Well, it shouldn't be any different with the Lord. You remember the excitement of that public proclamation. I remember when I went up to receive the Lord. It was a big church. And I went up to the podium, and it just was right. It felt right. But I was so nervous. My knees were knocking. Now, it wouldn't have been cool for my knees to knock and fall over. So I inched up to the podium like this. Nobody could see, and I was holding on for support. But uh, it just was right. The Spirit moved me to go up there and to make that public proclamation about the Lord. You remember the, the thirst for the Word of God. Driving your friends nuts. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Get out of here. You know, everybody remembers that. I drove my family crazy. None of them got saved through me, through other people. But, uh, you know, late at night, you know, calling friends, I remember, you know, I got to know, what does this passage mean? And they'd see my caller ID at 1130 and they wouldn't answer the phone. But, you know, you just remember that excitement about the Lord. And, you know, how much more you have these relationships with people. How much more should our relationship be with the Lord? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. About our relationship, or 37 through 40. Our relationship with him. Jesus says this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Pretty powerful stuff there. Um, You know, some people say, well, that's fanatical. You, you, fundamentals, you, evangelicals, they start throwing names at you. You know, you're this, you're that. That's pretty wacky stuff, you know. But check it out. If you are a, a mother or a father and you make that statement about your kid, you know, I protect my kid at any cost. Anybody dare not try to kidnap my kid and you, I'll be a mother bear on them. What would you call somebody like that? You wouldn't call them fanatical. You'd say they're a good parent, right? Well, why is it that when Jesus asks us to have that devotion for him, that we're labeled as fanatics? You know, it's, well, you know, I have a casual relationship with the Lord, and I have my own relationship, and that's good for you. You're religious. You know, (laughs) how much more the Lord of glory who created those kids, 
You know, look at the, the miracle of conception. It's amazing stuff. I watched my son being born. It just was, I cried. You know, I just was in tears. It was just an incredible experience. But the one who created my son, the one who created my wife, the one who created the people who love me and lift me up, how much more the Lord of glory who created them to have even a better relationship than you have with human, humans and animals. Uh, but the question is, do you still love the Lord as much? Uh, do you still, would you characterize your relationship to the Lord as stable? Now, sometimes Christians kind of get so used to being Christians, they kind of know the lingo, they know the etiquette, you know, they, they want to rub elbows with the pastor, you know, and I kind of call those people professional Christians. They kind of, their hearts kind of cool off for the Lord. They're not really into serving anymore. They're like the Laodiceans. Read that letter to the Laodicea. You know, he, Jesus says, you're not hot for me or cold for me, so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's what he says to them. It's, he's just like, you know what, make a decision. If you're on the fence for the Lord, you might as well be away from him because you, you're either for him or you're against him. But um, then people turn church, some churches into a social club, and then the church starts, starts to die out. It cools down. But, you know, the Lord has our number. It's never too late to rekindle that relationship with him. And the second point is, in a relationship, you start to enjoy what your partner enjoys. I think about gardening. <laughs> Confessions. Uh, five years ago, my wife and I bought our home, and it was a real fixer-upper. It was horrible. The inside was just as hideous as the outside. But I was concerned that, you know, the floor leaked and the, you know, the tub didn't work and the toilet didn't work. And my mind was set on doing the inside of the house. My wife says, oh, it's so dreary out here. There's no plans. Okay, you work on the outside, I'll work on the inside. I really could care less in the beginning about the garden and stuff like that. And, yeah, yeah, okay, you could buy some boxwoods. But over time, I actually uh, started really loving what my wife loved. She loved gardening so much, and she would tell me about the echinaceas and the zinnias and this and that. I know all that stuff. I I even know the difference between a hibiscus and a hydrangea. Isn't that impressive? (laughs) Hmm? And I'll tell you, there's certain types of hydrangea that, depending on the pH of the soil, it'll change the color of the bloom. Hmm? (laughs) Yep. Now, don't send any of these CDs to my job, okay? <laughs> so, that being said, same thing with the cats, you know. I dated, when I dated my wife, she loved cats. Now we have five of them. But I could, care, you know, I could care less before about cats. I didn't love them or hate them. I was indifferent towards them. And, you know, they're pretty interesting creatures. And I actually really love them. I have my own favorite cat now. And with five cats and having hairball problems, I can always look forward to... One of them throwing up on the carpet. <laughs> they usually throw up in the, the hallway, and I know to avoid the, you know, the pitfalls. One got me yesterday. They threw up in the bedroom. I wasn't paying attention. I stepped in it. It was squished through my toes. <laughs> what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm getting to that. I know you guys are saying, I wish Pete would come back. This guy's out of his mind. So, <laughs> if we love our spouses and we love people and we want to we want to be interested in what they're interested in how much more the lord of glory the one who created us you know jesus says in john 14 repeatedly another 14 or 15 are very repetitive in john 14 jesus says repeatedly he puts people in two categories uh he says he who loves me will follow my words follow my commandments he does not love me will not and he says that repeatedly 
It's almost like if, you know, he came and said to the world, line up. There's, there's two categories in the world. 5.5 billion people have to make a decision. The one sign says, he who loves Jesus. The one sign says, he who doesn't. I tell you, I'm going to do my darndest to get into the, the one that says, he who loves Jesus. So if we love him, if we call ourselves Christians, Jesus said to follow his word. It doesn't make you religious. It just makes you love your Lord, the one who bought you at a price, the one who redeemed you from the slave market of sin. That's a pretty heavy price to pay. The least we could do is love what he loves. So Philippians 2, 1 through 8, turn to that. Paul says this. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, and that word form in the Greek is morphe, where we get metamorphosis and things like that. It is literally the substance of God. Jesus is God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul got it. <laughs> Jesus taught it and Paul caught it. He was of the same mind of Christ. Paul says, fulfill my joy. You would, when you're reading this, if the word Christ wasn't in there, you would think that Christ wrote it. Fulfill my joy, Paul says, the same love of the same mind. Esteem others better than yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself, love others. You know, uh, Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, Jesus taught it, Paul caught it. Have we? Have we caught it? Galatians 5 talks about it. It's almost like you can get out a scorecard in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've we got to look at ourselves and say, well, where do I fit in with these things? How am I doing? <laughs> Sometimes you, you look at it and you don't do so well. But the point is, in short, do we enjoy what Christ enjoys and would he be pleased with our behavior? And the third, the third point I want to make is in relationship, if your affection goes outside of the relationship, it's going to damage it. I don't think this one needs an explanation. What are some of the things that Jesus talked about were relationship killers? Well, Matthew, I'm going to do a few verses in Matthew here. Matthew 6:19 through 21 and then 24. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon was just one of the gods for riches. You know, the different nations had different gods. Some were fertility gods. If you were a farmer, that's the one that you would pray to. If you were, you know, the Romans and the Greeks, they had Poseidon and Neptune. If they were seafarers, they wanted the god to protect them. Well, Mammon was a god of riches, you know, and some people prayed for that. They prayed to Mammon to have riches. And then there's another scripture in uh, 13, Matthew 13, 22. Actually, 7 and then 22. 
Jesus talks about the different, um, the parable of the soils and the sower, the one who sows the seed, which was the word of God. And depending on which ground it fell on, depending on how that seed grew up, the word of God. And each ground represented somebody's heart. Well, in verse 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Translation, verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. I'm going to take you to one more place. Some of you are like, all right, I'm not turning any more pages. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, you know, some people chase that their whole lives. Now, there's a caveat to that. In, um, some people are born wealthy. Some people get a great inheritance. Some people start a business that just takes off. There's nothing wrong with people who are wealthy. I know many generous, wealthy people who do great things to further the kingdom of God. So what, what's the problem, Joe? What are you trying to say here? Well, let's look at two people, and you don't have to turn there. Uh, Luke 18 and 19 is a tale of two rich men, Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. And the interesting thing is, as I was studying this, it reminded me of the parable that Jesus taught about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, Zacchaeus was rich, the Bible says. He was a chief tax collector. He was the head mucky-muck in collecting those taxes. And the rich young ruler, they believe, most probably was a synagogue ruler. He was rich, and he was a moral man. According to himself, he kept the Ten Commandments. Well, Zacchaeus had, Jesus had such an impression on Zacchaeus that he said to the Lord, without even being coaxed, he said, Lord, I will give half of what I have to the poor, and if there's anybody I've extorted from, because that's what tax collectors did back then. Some of you think that still happens today. But, uh, you know, it was really bad back then. Zacchaeus said that I will restore fourfold. And so if you look at, if you do the math, the guy's got an immediate probably 70% reduction in assets by his own volition. The rich young ruler said, well, I'm going to be moral by keeping the Ten Commandments. What else do I have to do? He was hoping for a little tidbit from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor, follow me. Now, rich young ruler couldn't do that. He was so connected to those riches. I mean, they just owned him, so, so to speak. And that was very hard for him to do. But the difference is, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Zacchaeus, the riches weren't important to him. He just was no problem. I'll just give them away. You know, give, me, give me a little bit to live on, but you know, I'm going to give them away. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He didn't even negotiate with Jesus. Well, how about half? He just, oh, I've got to get out of here. It's too much for me. So it's a matter of the heart. And what's really sad is I see, I see it, unfortunately, creep into the church. This is really not a popular subject, but I'm not here to be popular. It's a matter of the heart. As Christians, I see Christians striving to be rich. I see Christians mortgaging all their time with their family for, for all the nice stuff that's out there. And you know what I find? If I work overtime for something I want, then there's something else that pops up. Sometimes the I, I want list and the I need list kind of blend together. You actually find that a lot of your I need lists really are the I want list. And um, unfortunately, some preachers uh, propagate this. 
that God wants you to be rich, and it's nonsense. It's false teaching. Paul said, or Peter said to the, to the, the beggar in front of the temple, everybody's putting money in his cup, so to speak, and Peter says to the man, silver and gold, I have none of these, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Uh, Peter said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Paul, by all observations, was a transient. If it was today, he'd probably get pulled over by the police. You know, He didn't have anything. He just went from town to town to town. But it's a matter of the heart. And I've got to tell you, it's very hard for me sometimes to... There's a guy on my squad who I work with. He's a nice guy, young, young officer. He's open to the word. And then every once in a while he'll say, you know, but, but you evangelists. I see those guys on TV and they drive. They've got mansions and this and that. And I tell you, that's, that's a stumbling block to people. And it's very hard for me to undo that. Um, this whole God wants you to be rich thing, that's so certain people can live in a $28, man, $28 million mansion in California, have a private jet, and go everywhere top notch. That's not what the gospel is about. And Jesus, by his own speaking, says that this is a scourge. You can't serve riches and God at the same time. So I'll just go back to the phrase where Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches choke the seed and make it unfruitful. The last thing, number four, in a relationship, we should be moving in a direction towards change for the better. Okay, when I was single, I lived like a slob. You know, a lot of single guys do. Clothes were, dusting wasn't important to me. I would kind of watch to see how it would pile up. Every once in a while, I'd wipe it just to see that the furniture was still brown. But um, I was a slob. Yeah, I admit it. You know, my wife and I differed on a lot of things. Now, follow the logic here. To me, I drink a lot of water. So I fill up my water bottles and my glasses with water, and I go from the, you know, I'm always in a hurry. So usually I spill some water on the floor. Now it's water, mind you. In my mind, that's a good thing, because water evaporates, puts humidity into the air. It's good for my sinuses, and everybody's happy. My wife doesn't see it like that. She's like, her explanation is, well, when water gets on the floor, it mixes with some of the cat hair and the dirt, and it becomes a mucky mess, and I've got to clean it up. So uh, before I could even think about it, the blonde tornado comes into the kitchen and whisks up that dirt. So obviously, and I say that facetiously, obviously uh, when you have a relationship with someone, you change. You have to change. If I didn't change, I wouldn't be married very long. So, uh, you know, you change for your spouse. You, you start to go to that direction. Now, it's not a great example because Jesus, in a sense, is the perfect spouse. In Ephesians 5... Jesus is the, is the groom, and collectively, as the body of Christ, as believers, we are his bride, in a sense. But Jesus is the perfect spouse, so if anybody's going to be moving in anybody's direction, we should be moving in his direction. So you want to change for the better. I want to read to you Romans 8, 20, 28 through 29. Romans 8, 28 through 29. He says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So I just want to kind of focus on that conformed. We want to be conformed to the image of his son. And Romans 12:2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be proved what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Conformed. You see a lot of people conforming in the world. And even, a bunch, even people who say, I'm nonconformist, they all kind of have the same 
same line, you know, oh, we're against the government, we're against this, we're against that. In a sense, now they're conforming. <laughs> they're conforming to a nonconformist group. So you see a lot of people conforming to things in this world. You know, what better thing than to conform to the image of the Lord? You know, people have been doing stuff for, for thousands of years, man's been around, and, you know, we'd like to think that we're doing something new and, and exciting, but it's the same old tune. I mean, look at, look at Solomon. There's a guy who, if you read Ecclesiastes, a little plug for the Bible study, we're tonight, Ecclesiastes, Sunday night at 7, Dayton Center. But, uh, you know, Solomon didn't have much joy and didn't have much peace, if you read Ecclesiastes. He tried all kinds of things. He was rich. He tried all types of vices. Uh, interesting thing, I'm, I'm reading in, in uh, chapter 2, he said, and I, I mixed some wisdom with, with, no, he says, I, I, I drank uh, alcohol, I, I got drunk, and I did this and I did that. Also, guiding my eye with wisdom. Well, that's a good experiment. <laughs> Getting drunk and trying to be wise at the same time. I don't know how you do that one. But uh, he wasn't really a happy guy if you read Ecclesiastes. And what his conclusion that he came to was that all the, all the debauchery, all the, the things that he did, uh, it didn't mean anything without the Lord. That's the conclusion he came to in the book. Read it. So... Of all things going on in the world, we need to be conformed to the image of, of Jesus Christ. And if we abide, if we abide in him, we cannot help but be transformed by him. And we should be able to look back on our lives and say, have I changed? You know, I've been a Christian for nine years, and I look back in the first year or two, boy, why did I have no wisdom at all? <laughs> Whether witnessing to people or, uh, you know, telling people they were going to hell, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And thank God the Lord gives you, he kind of buffers you out over the years and you uses, you know, some people skills. But uh, we want to look back and see, what are the, some of the vices that I used to do? Oh, that's the old me. It's really cool when people can come up to you and say, man, you've really changed. There's something different about you. Then you know you're going in the right direction. So, taking all these things together, um, you know, we've got to look at our relationship with God as a relationship, not just a, a thing, you know. I guess we, you know, I guess we feel sometimes if we don't can, can't see him, uh, we we can't touch him, you know, we can't hear an audible voice, uh, we can't, you know, we we look at that and we, I guess sometimes think that it's just we just kind of say a prayer and we just kind of do a thing and go to church and it's not what it's all about. It's about a relationship. It's about abiding with him.